Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time for the unofficial 40. Soonerscoop.com's very official recruiting podcast featuring Soonerscoop.com recruiting publisher, Josh McQuistian. Get your recruiting fix from the leader in Sooner Recruiting. It's the unofficial 40 with your hosts, Soonerscoop.com publishers, Gary Murdoch and Josh McQuistian. All right, welcome everybody. It is uh, the OU Texas edition of the Unofficial 40, uh, where uh, we are here with you to talk about uh, everything going on with the Sooners. Uh, been a big week, a lot of interviews. Uh, we're podcasting here on a uh, early Thursday, so we've done all the interviews with players and coaches in the week. Uh, I know Josh has been tracking down uh, recruits that are coming into uh, Dallas this weekend to watch the Red River rivalry, and uh, we welcome in now Josh McQuistian. Josh, uh, happy Thursday to you. Happy, OU Happy Thursday, Week. guys. Uh, Eddie Radosevich is in studio as well. And Eddie, uh, how's the anger today? I'm great. I'm ready to go. This is OU Texas Week. Um, does that mean the anger is higher? Uh, no. Greater? No, no anger. Much, much pleasure and happiness and uh, ready to get down to Dallas. Joe Duvall is here as well. Uh, Joe, do you have like more numbers this week, more stats than usual? Uh, I would say probably less stats than usual. I'm going more gut feel today. It's you're you're like body surfing. You're like riding the waves. Yeah, although that's harder than you think. Someone did ask me if you were the lead singer of ZZ Top because you were sitting next to me at the press conference. Oh, because of the beard, last week because yeah. of the beard or the hair or a combination. Your hair was flowing that day, so it flows every day. I feel like, but the beard, yeah, too. I could see that. I could. I could. It was a very dated reference. I, I thought nobody. Nobody asks who ZZ Top is anymore. I never realized that they like actually show the person asking questions. I've never really watched the press conference back, and I yeah, just I so like happened that. to turn on uh, Oklahoma, the sports channel, or whatever, and notice that they actually show the pu- the person in the crowd. Yeah, they, we actually uh, make lower thirds, or we used when I worked at Sooner Vision, we made lower thirds and stuff. So yeah. all the median has their name and their affiliation. I don't like watching the press conference because I was there. It's kind of like, you know, they replay part of the radio show in the morning from the previous day mm-hmm. when I'm driving to the station. I won't listen to it. Yeah. Because I was there. I don't I don't know what that is. But I've kind of said, like, I get enough of me. I don't need to also live in a world where I also exist on a radio or television. Like, that's just too much me. I think I've heard that promo. I think that has been a promo. All right, well, uh, Josh, let's. I feel like we didn't really include you much last week in the podcast, uh, but this is a, a better chance for you because I know the one question you probably get this week more than ever. Uh, and by the way, we appreciate we have our listenership has grown dramatically. Uh, it's grown so much that I know we have more people listening than actually than than actually subscribe to SoonerScoop.com. We should probably do a better job of promoting Soonerscoop.com in our podcast. 
Uh, but we do have a free week going right now. Uh, everything on the site is free. Uh, you can uh, sign up. We've got the code for you on the website uh, and on Twitter for you. If you if you want to go ahead and, and check us out on Soonerscoop.com, uh, some of the stuff that you can't get, talk to us on the message boards, uh, interact with other fans. You can do all that stuff. But uh, for Josh, you know, it's been kind of quiet on the recruiting front. You got road trips. Uh, but you did have a bye week where coaches kind of got to get out on the road a little bit. And I know the question you probably get most, Josh, is what exactly can a school do in terms of recruits for this game? Yeah, that's one that people always get confused about. And I understand it. It's something that's a little complicated. And I think some people, it's almost the fuel for, well, this game should go home and home because it's 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 a little more difficult. You're almost giving a recruiting weekend away but you have to look at it from the spectacle and all that you can do with um, uh, just being able to host players at a big event like this in a, in a location that Oklahoma recruits so heavily. But basically what it comes down to is whoever is the home team, Oklahoma this year, they can invite whoever they want, whether, it, you know, whether it's guys from Oklahoma or Texas or even California. If you can make the trip on your own dime, Oklahoma can invite you when they are the home team. And, you know, next year, obviously, it'll flip and it'll be Texas and the same availability is there to them. The thing that's nice for both schools is they generally are recruiting a lot of the same guys. So what does get tricky, though, recruits cannot have any contact with either coaching staff while they're there. They can't wave at them they can't acknowledge them there's nothing they they just go to their seats they watch the game and then they go on about their business so you know now they get to go out into the state fair so again it's it's a really interesting thing because you give up a lot of the um you know the time to meet with bob stoops or to go to position meetings or some of the things you could do in a home game but at the same time they get to see what ou texas is all about and why people care even when both teams are two and two and look largely mediocre so far. I, you know, and I think the other thing that you get out of it, you do, like you said, you do lose a lot of the recruiting stuff. But you know, my family's lived down in Dallas for over a decade, and Dallas still treats OU Texas like a huge deal. I mean, I know the Rangers are getting ready to start the playoffs, and that'll dominate most of the talk radio and stuff down there. But it's like the one weekend out of the out of the year when the, the city of Dallas makes college football a huge deal. And I think that's great for, for every, I think every kid, every high school kid recognizes that. And it's, it's, it's an event and it's not something else that, I mean, they don't do that when Arkansas and Texas A&M play down there. I don't think. No, I mean, that, that's the one game probably in the country that's the most unique compared to others, right? I mean, there are other huge rivalry games, and we could have that same old sports talk argument, but just in uniqueness, there's not a lot like the OU Texas game, and it brings so much money and brings so much people into Dallas um, that if you're in that area, you can't help uh, but be aware of it your whole life. So uh, I think it's, it's a good thing just to get the recruits in the game and just to get them a part of the atmosphere. And I don't, th- I don't think this is the time for a, oh, the Big 12 needs to stay together and keep this. I mean, we've got other things we can be discussing. Uh, but, burn it. Uh, but burn it to the ground, is that what you're saying? Uh, burn it to the ground. But I, I love this game. I mean, I love growing up going to this game. Uh, I love going to the state fair. I mean, it was kind of one of those things where you and your buddy got to get away from your parents and his parents, and you could just go run around the midway, play games, and just eat horrible crap 
I mean, it's, there's a, there's a lot of great things about this game. I'd hate to lose it. The the walk in from the uh, parking lot, and especially where we park, where media parks on that. I guess is that the south side uh, of uh, of the of the fair, and walking through and just that whole pregame atmosphere. And even if it is at eight a.m. in the morning, it's still very unique. And I don't think there's there's many things that I enjoy more than walking in there on Saturday morning, uh, slightly hungover, maybe even slightly a little still drunk, and uh, and you're just walking in with uh, the band preparing over on the right side, and then the buses come in, and uh, I love it. You can still smell. I can smell it right now. I can smell the fair. I can smell the fried food. Uh, you could feel. You can feel the alcohol coming out of people's pores as you're walking around, and you're all kind of trudging Especially around Eddie's. the park. Yeah. I mean, it's it was I, Wednesday last night. It's just probably uh, it's hard not it's not hard not going because it really is a game that you just it's 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 so much fun to be at. I, I, yeah, I was gonna say that whole thing you just described. All that was just Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the state fair. Oh, oh. sorry. He's, he's, I thought I showered before I came he's over here. Sweating animal fat right now. I thought I I thought I showered. I thought that was just the natural smell of us when we got together. That's musk. No, it is. There is a musk that dominates when we get together. Uh, I don't, Josh, did you go to this game growing up as a kid? My first one ever, and you talk about one that's memorable, was the uh, the uh, 2001 game with the Lame and the, uh, the Roy Williams play. Like That whole thing was my first ever 15, OU 15 years Texas. ago today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I can still see that play from inside the stadium like, I mean, it's in my mind's eye. Like I, it, and it's it's one of those things that, and you guys know, I because I know you saw plays that were the same way in that game. That when I see it in my head, it took like twelve seconds. But when I watch it, I mean, it's just the blink of an eye. The whole thing comes together. But for some reason, it's slow motion when I when I see it in my, you know, like in my head as I try to remember what it was. It's just crazy how those moments become so large and. Like I said, I mean, even in games like this that aren't as anticipated as that one was, you're going to have some guys that really make their legacy at Oklahoma or Texas. So, I, go ahead. Uh, it was just interesting talking to uh, the some of the guys this 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 week, uh, Jordan Thomas and uh, uh, Orlando Brown especially. They said that their favorite moment so far in the uh, OU Texas series has been the Zach Sanchez pick two years ago. And I think it was probably because they were freshmen and uh, weren't really preparing for the game per se. But uh, did you just want to go like, no, you don't understand? This game actually used to mean something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was. It was just weird that that's their biggest memory from the OU Texas game. I don't know if maybe they they saw a special highlight package or something throughout the week, and that's the one thing that stuck with them, or what? I was with you, Eddie. I I, I heard that answer, and I thought, okay. I mean, I, that, if that's the memory that you think of with OU Texas, I guess that shows how far it's fallen. Because my first game, I went to 2003, and it was the 65-13 game. I mean, that the, that to me, that's a that's a monumental game. Oklahoma went to number one after that. Adrian uh, Adrian Peterson was in the stands for that game, I believe, right, Josh? Yeah. Yes, he was, and that that was the game that really shifted him. He he turned everything around really for him. Now, I will say, I want to make a, a shameless plug here. Anyone looking for a early Christmas gift for Josh? I've never been in the stadium when OU lost to Texas, so anybody wanting to send me up there, just hook up the tickets, and we'll, we'll find a way up I-45. This isn't the year we need to send you. They're, <laughs> they're a ten-and-a-half-point favorite. They should be able to win it without you. They're in a very familiar position, I guess you could say, going into this game. I mean, that, I mean to be honest, that is what's so weird about this series, and it, it, 
you know, it, it validates that point. Like we are so far away from when Mac Brown and Bob Stoops had their pro respective programs going at it. And this was a top 10 matchup. This has turned into a game between two crap teams at times, or at least one crap team against one decent team. And it is, it's kind of depressing when, I mean, like probably my favorite moment from this is when Damian Williams ran for that 95 yard touchdown, just because he ran right into Eddie's camera and you had that great shot. Yeah. of Kenny Stills just, it was it. Uh, quad. Uh, what was that guy's name? Quad. Quadre Diggs. Quandre. Quandre Diggs. Diggs. Just leveling him on the side and watching Jay Norvell jump over yeah. him and continue to run down the sidelines. I, like, that was. I, that's probably one of my favorite moments. Uh, that was an explosion moment. Yeah, where the crowd yeah. just goes crazy and the crowd was just nuts. I remember we had uh, Lindsay Lee who doesn't work at Rivals anymore. She was taking photos and just she had the crowd just. She had a photo of us that we had on our site of just the crowd, everybody's arms going mm -hmm. up at the same time when he was crossing the, the end zone. But I say that, and then I think, how sad, like, that that's the best moment recently for me from OU Texas. The, you know, the, I think the 45-35 the game in 2008 with Sam versus Cole was, people around here don't want to remember it because of how it ended. Yeah. But that was a awesome football game. If if you I if you ever have the chance of uh, I'm sure that the Longhorn Network has played it in between 50 times this week, but it's a uh, it's a terrific game to go back and watch. Yeah, it's almost a shame that score got to double digits because it's one of those games when you look back, you see the 45 35, and you don't think too much on it. But if you watch the totality of that game, that that was great. And, and to be honest, was that the game where uh, Travis Lewis got two personal fouls because he touched Colt McCoy out of bounds? Oh, was that 2008? It, or was that that, that might have been, been that 16-13 game? Yeah, that might have been the next year. I can't remember. That's one thing I really remember from this series is like Colt McCoy literally going soccer game. Oh yeah, and just acting like Travis Lewis tried to take his head off <laughs> when all he was doing was trying to grab his shoulder pad and keep him keep held him up. up. Yeah, I, was that also the same game? Who was the oh you had a punter then that guy? I think got two. Roughing the punter penalties on Texas, and I think he flopped on both of them. Oh gosh, that, what was his name? That wasn't freebie, was it? I thought it was like a like a two syllable, like first name like Matt, second name another one syllable name, but I don't know. This is probably not great radio to be wondering about an old OU punter. Punter talk, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Punter talk. We just need somebody to yeah. look it all up for us. That's Joe for you. He loves the punter talk. Hey, oh, yeah. to bring it down another notch, something oh, that just I uh, just saw on Twitter. Urban Meyer, during his call-in show on the uh, this weekend's Indiana game, called Indiana the best defense we've faced, and that includes Oklahoma. Oh, he decided <laughs> to throw that in? Yeah, like Ooh. that. that's his direct quote, according to 11 Warriors. That is – that's bold. Like, I, I get that – I mean, is not that, that anybody has any illusions about Oklahoma's defense, but for him to throw it in as an extra, that's brutal. Is that aimed at Okuda? I mean, could that be partly – Hey, I'm I'm letting people out there know that because he's recruiting against Oklahoma for a few guys on defense, especially he might be letting people know that hey, I got Oklahoma's defense isn't what you think it is. Marvin Wilson too. I'll let you know right now. I've been drinking a little bit. Is that, uh, sorry, Josh. We got a we got a we got a we got an audio issue. Josh can't tell when we're we're laying down drops, so I had to do that a couple of times. We, I, I'm not going to explain it to you. You just gonna have to listen to it later on. Josh. Basically, Urban Meyer needs to spend more time with his family instead of taking shots at people on a Wednesday, <laughs> Thursday. <laughs> there he is. Mm, Lordy. All right. 
I, I don't. I, I'm really shocked by that. I don't know where to go from that. I mean, <laughs> that's just stupid. You think I mean, Kevin Wilson's like hell yeah? <laughs> when he wakes up at noon today, he's no, but I do it think out. I do. <laughs> it's plastered on the Indiana sports front page. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I love Kevin that's Wilson. The I say worst that thing with, you've ever said on this podcast. Why? I like Kevin Wilson. That the man is a drunk. <laughs> Kevin Wilson gets down, and I I appreciate that. One of my favorite Kevin. Still, one of my, I will say this. I guarantee you, when Bob Stoops hears that, he'll be like, oh, Kevin, uh, you need an extra help uh, this week. Need me to tell you anything you don't know? I, I, Kevin Wilson's awesome. I, I saw him many times at, at the old O'Connell's uh, getting a solo cup prepared for his drive home. Hmm. My, my favorite Wilson was back when, you know, and Kerry, we've talked about this in podcasts before, before the media was completely outlawed from Oklahoma football practices, we were at one, and they had all these. It, this was like early days. Like I think this was even before like Red Bull was completely a part of the national consciousness. Consciousness, God, I couldn't get that out. Anyway, and he's drinking, and he sees this energy drink, and it's in this big tub, and it's right in the middle of practice. Everybody's breaking down for a drink, and he looks, and it's me, and you know, probably three or four other media members standing there. And he goes, man, I wish this was a different kind of can or something like that. <laughs> like, oh, that's amazing. I mean, it was just that kind of honesty that was just awesome with him. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. Uh, I mean, Kevin, you know, Kevin, he liked to have a drink. There's no doubt in that one. There's nothing wrong I with that. I think he's awesome. He's over 21 years of age. Yeah, I don't think anybody hears casting judgment. Uh, so anyway... I literally had a whole show mapped out in my head, and you guys have totally ruined it now with taking us off track like this. Let's get back on. Okay, let's get back on. Uh, Baker Mayfield, we had a chance to talk to him this week. Uh, He probably had... I know you were talking to Jordan Thomas, Eddie. I didn't get over there because I was talking to Mike Stoops and and Baker, but uh, you had told me that that, uh, Jordan had a very similar... like Street fight was like the term everybody was using, you said. Yeah. And Baker was kind of the first to drop that. Uh, and we all know that Baker has been a little too up at times. I think you look at the Houston game, trying to do too much. So I do think you have to worry about, like, how is he going to go into this game and handle it? And so I was just kind of asking him, what are his expectations of himself and, and of his teammates? And, and I thought he had a great quote. You're known as, as one of the vocal guys, leaders on this team. When you're in that tunnel... You guys are getting ready to go. What 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 do you want from yourself? What do you want from your teammates to get ready for this thing? Uh, Just from a, an emotional standpoint. From an emotional standpoint, uh, this is a street fight. That's absolutely what he is. Uh, there's there's no hiding that. Uh, this is the, the biggest rivalry in college football. You, you get in that tunnel. Uh, there's nothing nice to be said. Uh, they don't like us, and we don't like them. I mean, there's there's no beating around the bush. But at the same time, our guys are going to have to uh, to kind of harness all that and go out and do their job. Now. All that is great. You know, emotional. They want to be fired up. But then you kind of hear on Wednesday, we talked to Bob Stoops, and you find out Charles Walker is out with a concussion, or he said he had a concussion. I don't remember him leaving the TCU game at any time. Do you guys? No, he never no. did. And I don't even remember them there being anything after the game. I mean, the way that Bob talked about it yesterday was that he just came up with this out of nowhere is the way that I felt. Well, here, let me play the Stoops uh, quote from yesterday. 
And he's talking about, he starts out talking about, it's one of those things that Bob does sometimes. He was talking about who is healthy, and then he thought he might, halfway through answering another question, he decided, oh, well, I might want to tell them that this guy's out because it's kind of important. Uh, so it's kind of, I kind of spliced this together, but here's kind of how he talked about injuries yesterday. Yeah, Baker practiced again. Jonathan Alvarez practiced. So he'll be back in that rotation. So, you know, they're coming back some. I've forgotten, and we'll also be without uh, Charles Walker. Uh, he's, I guess he got a, said he got a concussion sometime in the game the other night. So, so he'll be out. Yeah, that was the way he phrased it. I guess he said I got a con- or he said he got a concussion during the game. They didn't know about it until after the game. I don't think they knew about it until at least Monday uh, that he thought he had suffered a concussion. Uh, the question that I had in this thing was, okay, did he fail the concussion protocol? Like, if I would have been thinking, like, you know, Wednesdays with Bob, it's it's a small group of the beat writers. We're told that we're not supposed to ask about injuries, so I didn't really want to dig too much into it, but not having Charles Walker is a big deal in this game. I mean, you're facing, and I know I know that Chris Warren is out. I know that Donta uh, Foreman might have a torn oblique. It might just be an abdominal strain. I've heard all kinds of rumors on what it is, but we don't know how... If he's good to go, I mean that's a real problem for this defense now. Yeah, and especially when without you look, Charles Walker, especially when you look at what they've done the last, I guess, I don't know, has it been four years just getting just beat physically every play almost? Yeah, and uh, you know Charles Walker's obviously one of your more physical guys on the defensive line, and now you turn to a already depleted. You don't uh, have Matt Diamond. I mean, it's almost like we rotation. need to run it down. Yeah, you don't have Matt Diamond. Right. Uh, you don't have Charles Walker now. Marquise Overton's out for the year. Overton's done. I mean, they are really... You've got basically, as far as tackles go, true tackles, you've got Matt Romar, Jordan Wade, and I get, I would include Neville Gallimore. Gallimore can now. do it, but he can also play end. But those other guys are true noses. And uh, Mike Stoops said in the... Uh, we talked to him the other day. He said the, guy, the team that runs the ball wins this game. And how is this not a huge concern if you're Oklahoma and you're three-man front and you're two guys down? I mean, this has got to be a little concerning. I mean, more than a little concerning. I mean, you're you're looking at a, a starting defense at the beginning of the year in the first game, and now they're down three starters, technically, when you look at Diamond, Walker, and uh, Will Johnson, or four starters, Will Johnson and then uh, Tay Evans. Tay Evans, yeah. You know, going into the TCU game, I don't. I think everybody was like, well... We don't really know what's going to happen here. Oklahoma's a favorite. I don't know if that's the right thing. But I think they could win. You know, I think Oklahoma could win this game. Then when all you start figuring out Will Johnson's gone and the list piles up, you're like, Ugh, Oklahoma's in a lot of trouble. Like, yeah. I don't see how they can win this game now. And, I mean, this isn't as bad as that. But you have to face facts. This defense is a lot better when it has Romar and Walker than with any other combination. Yeah. Totally no, agree. I completely agree. R- R- those guys have been disruptive. While Jordan Wade can eat up blockers and he could be helpful to them at the nose tackle and he has experience, Romar can actually penetrate. And Charles Walker, like nobody else on that defensive front, can penetrate and get in the backfield and make guys have to make cuts in the backfield, not let them get ahead of steam, which helps out your linebackers. who you're Like Eddie just said, they're replacing two of those too. So... Uh, they had a game against TCU where for 
one half of the game, the second and third quarters, they looked incredible. They allowed three points. They weren't arguing. They weren't stressing, as the players were telling us. But then they had another two quarters, the first and fourth, where they gave up 43 points. That's a half of football that they're giving up 43 points in. I think the huge concern is, if you don't know what you're getting from the defense already, what's going to happen now that there's more injury trouble, more turmoil, more changeover? I, this has got to be... I, to me, I'm, I'm, if I were an Oklahoma fan, I'd be more and more concerned as this game grows closer. Screw it. Let's not even cover it. <laughs> Just let them lose. You want, I got stats. Do you want, I actually do have one number here. You're depressing me with now, your stats. Yeah, uh, this will be the last one. We'll go to the low point. We'll go to the lowest point, and then we can build up from there. Eight times since 1989, OU has been ranked, and Texas unranked at the time of the Red River shootout. And Texas has won six of those eight. So when Texas isn't ranked and Oklahoma's ranked, they win six out of eight times since 1989. What are we getting ready to do here? I, you know, I, 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 this year is different from last year. I mean, I, here's the thing, guys. I think every coach on the staff that we talked to, which isn't a bunch, uh, they all they all seem to be challenging this team physically. I mean, they're basically like last year. Bob wouldn't give up, you know, the the ghost in terms of, well, you got even you got, even though you won a year ago, you really got beat up front. Yeah, they were they were better than you. They were more physically you. That was kind of a storyline going into last year. And then it turned out to be true. They got beat up again. And so this year he's finally admitting, okay, yeah, they've been more physical than us. And they've thrown that back in the players' faces. Now you got two two-and-two teams, and they're, uh, they're not going in opposite directions, but they're not going in the same direction. I mean, Texas is on the verge of melting down. I, and it's not just a 57 I, I feel like they felt that down. way the last two years, right? They've come in desperate, melting down. But, I mean, this is not a, an Oklahoma team that's going to overlook anything. I mean, they, they don't have reason to be confident in anything that they're yeah. doing. I I'd heard, uh, I guess it was Ty Darlington talking about the game, and he said that, you know, last year watching film, you, you walk out of film and you just didn't think that Texas was a very good team. They hadn't put a lot on tape. And yeah. even though it's kind of the same situation this year, I, don't, I just don't understand how a team could show up after getting their ass kicked the last three, four years and just expect for the same thing not to happen. I mean, or or not to want to do something so the same thing doesn't happen. So I, I will be very disappointed if, not if they get beat, but if they go out and just get their ass kicked again, physically. I asked Mark Andrews, I said, is it is it hard for you guys? Because, you know, the last couple of years you watch tape and the Texas team you watch on tape isn't the one that shows up in the Cotton Bowl. Do you have to kind of think about that, that the team you're watching on tape might not be the one that shows up Saturday? And he said, well, no, you know, we just got to do what we can do, focus on ourselves. And if that's true, I, I think that's a, a – you can't be doing that. You have to assume this is a rivalry game. You can't treat it like another game. And you have to assume Texas under Charlie Strong is going to play with more fire and determination in this game than in other games on film. Here's my one concern about Texas. And everybody's like, well, you know, every time they do something special, then – it just it just turns around to bite OU, but and so now they're talking about you know that Strong is taking over the defense. Here's the thing that that I would be concerned about is it seems like if you leave Texas's offensive coach to their own devices, they they it's a lot like Lincoln Riley and forgetting to run the football. They forget that you can't just rotate quarterbacks every other play. Yeah, I mean that seems. To completely take them out of their offense at times. And rhythm. When I've watched. I mean, rhythm wise. Josh, you've probably had more of a chance to watch them 
than I have. But I mean, I, I remember watching the second half of that Cal game and just going, what are these coaches doing rotating quarterbacks the way they're doing it? I actually think they've done a pretty good job of that rotation. Well, like they seem then. to have, um, they seem to have kind of a scheme, but at the same time, you're right. Like it, I think more, it definitely doesn't affect Tyrone swoops. He's just no, running no. right, running yeah. left, running up the middle. But with Shane Bouchel, you're right because he'll get in a rhythm where they're, you know, they've completed three or four passes and they get down to maybe the thirty, and all of a sudden they get into a third and two and they run swoops out there. And then Bouchelle's got to come back on and all the personnel shifts. And I think if nothing else, as fast as Sterling Gilbert wants to run that Texas offense, it takes away that ability to keep that defense on their heels, keep them on the field. You guys can't sub. We're not going to sub. And it allows everybody to make that shift. And so I don't know if it's so much a rhythm as allowing – you mentioned the Cal game. That was a good example. Uh, I'm actually looking at the Oklahoma State game right now. And you saw some of the same things where Texas would be moving the ball and then all of a sudden we're going to make this change. Well, now Oklahoma State can do the same thing and they can match personnel and they can do what they want to do from a pregame standpoint rather than, well, we just got to react with what we've got. And I think that's where Texas gets themselves in some trouble on these things. And that's where these two quarterback systems, not that they always fail, there are a few success stories, but that's where they usually run into trouble. And I think this is one of those deals. I mean, I would imagine you'll start out the way you did against TCU. You have Houghton in for Parker. Parker will be playing Will Johnson's spot. When Swoops comes in, I think my hope would be that they would bring Caleb Kelly and, and Capri Doucette in. If that doesn't happen, they better get extra security around the uh, press box and when Mike comes down at halftime and then goes back up, because I could see an OU fan trying to attack him if they don't try and match the 18-wheeler with somebody bigger at outside yeah. linebacker. Especially since they watch teams learn how to do that to Blake Bell. That's how teams ended up kind of slowing down the Belldozer was when OU substituted, they became predictable, and the defense could substitute in their packages. So you would think, you would think Mike Stoops would know what to do there. And that is the rule. I mean, when, when they bring in any player, when they switch any player on offense, when now... They could they could try and come up with something and have like swoops playing tight end, right? Motion uh, him over, and then motion him into the backfield and have have Bouchelle split out wide. But you're losing a guy there. I mean, yeah. it's not it's not as effective. But basically, what they've been doing is swoops comes in, Bouchelle comes out, and when that happens, the referee stands over the ball and has to give the defense a time to to match up. So. Yeah, they I they better have a package that they're going to switch. I I think it would be asinine to try and say, "Yeah, we're just going to leave Stephen Parker and Cleel Houghton in there." Well, if they do that, I will be publicly ca- calling for the firing of Mike Stoops on uh, Monday. <laughs> I, I'm with Eddie. That's fireable. That yeah. to to let it happen twice. That's it, it shouldn't have happened once. Because, and to let it go twice. That that's abominable. That's awful. I mean. After the Ohio State game, Mike even said that they should have matched up better with yeah. that. And it was almost like he was admitting that fact. And when he admitted that, it almost, you know, it's like, how do you not figure that out at halftime? I like, just don't. How do you not? That's one of those major question marks that you, uh, that, that I think everybody has, even the fans. I think, I think that's what has been so frustrating through the first four weeks is that the changes that aren't made are ones that 
I feel like you would make if you were playing NCAA 2000. That's where the normal people comment that yeah. like made really started to rub people the wrong way. Because I think most pe fans would admit that they don't know as much mm -hmm. about the game as coaches. They they get that there are so many play calls and adjustments and formations that they don't know all the vernacular. They don't know how to do all that. But there are some things where fans aren't stupid. There are some things that can be common sense. And there's some things that someone in the stands can look at and say, if you're going to keep doing this and it's not working, then you're wrong. Because you have to make a change. You have to see what's worked against you in the past and make a change. On the flip side of that, I I almost thought that uh, Parker playing the nickel and Khalil Hofton playing safety worked out on uh, Saturday against TCU. I don't know. I could have been. It could have been different. Just being down on the sidelines, it seemed like everything went well from above. Was it was it as good as I thought it was? I guess is my question. Yeah, I mean, second drive of the game, you get a you get a pick. You know it. I thought Emmanuel Beal was good. I mean, he's the biggest question mark I yeah. think you have in this game is when he does have to, you know, tackle Emmanuel Beal or uh, Tyrone Swoops in the hole, how does he do? And But you know what? If Dominic Alexander were still here, that's that'd be a He was yeah. an undersized linebacker. Yeah. I mean, they haven't had big linebackers in there for a long time at Oklahoma. Yeah. Well, and I think Jordan Wade told you on uh, Tuesday, Joe, was the fact that, you know, when – when they go with the 18-wheeler and, and put swoops in there, not there's not a lot of people in the country that can probably just bring him down by himself. You're going right. to have to gang tackle. You're going to have to get everybody swarming, and uh, it's going to need to be a complete team effort, I guess would be the best way to put it. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to gang tackle him. And Jordan Wade said that. I think everybody we talked to when, about the 18-wheeler said that you got to get everybody on him. you got to play physical. But now you wonder if – I mean, Texas has thrown with swoops in the past. They haven't really done that this year. Is that something that maybe Oklahoma can come out too aggressive against the 18-wheeler in Texas counters with the pass? I don't know. I, I, it's easily possible. All right. Uh, I want to talk about something here. Uh, had a chance to talk to Bob Stoops. I know, Josh, this is something that has your interest uh, just from a – and pretty much everybody in the recruiting world's interest. NCAA proposing new legislation, uh, a 10th assistant coach – uh, putting some limitations on satellite camps, which I basically, to me, says there's no... I don't understand how you'd even classify them as satellite camps. And then probably the most controversial, having two extra signing days, one in the summer and one over the holiday break, basically, uh, along with your regular signing day. And uh, here's Bob Stoops. Asked him about it uh, the other day at practice, and Josh, we'll, we'll relay some of this to you as well. I'm sure you've been putting input on it, you know, throughout the offseason and stuff. I don't know if you saw the NCAA announced today that they're going to look at adding a 10th assistant, uh, scaling back on satellite camps and, and uh, what was the other thing? Signing uh, two signing days. Uh, when's the second one? Uh, in December? June, the June first, and then December. Last Wednesday of June. It still coincides with that JUCO signing. Yeah, I know you've been I'm not I'm not much one. for the June one, but for the December one, I'm all for and and I like the other rules anywhere to you know we've got a lot of kids to keep up with. You get a tenth assistant, you know, uh, you know, as a positive to, to keep up with you you know all the players and uh, you know and you know getting a hold on the satellite camps. I'd be all for that as well. Any idea where you would use your tenth assistant? Thought I had Texas here in a couple of days. I'm, I'm not thinking about where I'm putting my tenth assistant right now. 
Screw your question about where I put the tenth assistant. No, but uh, he should have said, "Well, it depends when Mark gets fired." <laughs> oh my God, he's heating up. Uh, Josh, uh, was a joke. Bob talking about you know he is for the tenth assistant, which I don't know why anybody wouldn't be. I mean, other than athletic directors that don't want to pay, you know, another two hundred and fifty grand to somebody every year. Uh, but I mean, we've seen we see all these guys that we we deal with that become GAs that just have to leave after three years because there's not enough jobs out there. I mean, and you've got once you get a job as a college coach, you're not letting that baby go for anything. I mean, that's a hell of a living. It's a it's a hard way to make a lot of money, but you make a lot of money. And people are not giving those things up. So adding this 10th assistant, I think if people don't hire... Josh, you tell me if I'm If people don't use this 10th assistant to hire a young, dynamic, potential recruiter, then they're just doing it wrong. I think that's exactly what you'll see it go to. Guys like, you know, if the perfect examples on OU staff right now, Chip Viney Chip last Viney, year. Yeah. There there was all that talk of, I think it wasn't at Michigan that really, I think even brought him up and talked to him and had some meetings. No, you kind of found a role for him and that sort of thing. But it, he would be the perfect guy for this because, yeah, he can continue to cut his teeth, continue to learn as a coach. But with him being young and energetic and really doing a great job relating to kids, he's a perfect guy for that. He's a guy that you can – and then you can send him on the road. He can go meet these kids and take it kind of to another level, whereas now he really only gets to see these guys if they come to OU's campus. But if he can go to California and recruit and go to the areas he knows and is familiar with, that's a home run. So, I mean, I, I'm with you, Kerry. I can't think of anybody, coaches included – that would be against this save for the people that actually have to sign the checks. Yeah, and not on top of making a great living coaching, most of these guys, it's in their blood. Football is what they do. They probably couldn't do anything else. It's what they kind of live for. And Chip Viney is one of those guys, and he has ambitions. He wanted, I think he wanted that job Kerry Cook's got. I think he wanted to be the defensive backs coach. So I think that keeps him in Oklahoma because he's going to keep looking for a full-time job. As Kerry said, those are hot commodities. So I, I, I love the suggestion of Chip Viney. I think – I think that once that got brought up, I, I don't. I almost would be shocked if Oklahoma did something other than hire Chip Viney. Now that I heard that suggestion, well, and you know, unless you wanted to split up, but with the defense they're running, they don't need to. But obviously, if they decide to change defenses, they're not really set up for the defensive end, defensive tackle kind of thing. Um, but I, I, I think then they'd been, have to lose a linebacker. Coach. I think it's been proven. That they could get away. Yeah, I mean, they got an outside linebackers coach, which, let's face it, is not needed. I mean, Tim Kish is basically coaching one position because those li those middle linebackers are essentially the same. I mean, it's probably the least... I'm not... Look, I don't want to bash on Tim Kish. He gets bashed on enough. But I'm just saying that is the least crucial position. Yeah, on the defense right now. And Mike the way they're set last up. week, and now you're throwing him under the bus. Well, Mike's only coaching Obo because I mean Stephen Parker's playing the other outside linebacker position. Yeah, I mean, True. there's there there are ways to shuffle around this staff if you need to make room. Well, I like the I like the move. I think it's I think it's good for young coaches specifically. And now I'm sure Nick Saban will try and hire four new assistants. Oh, they'll take whatever they can get, and they'll pay, I guarantee they'll, they'll make pay. one work in the morning, one work midday. I get the staff up over uh, fifty-five guys. That's something that probably needs to be addressed at some point. 
just how many people you can have on your faculty staff. How many of those guys? I mean, I guess they're all making salary. Oh, yeah. Some type of salary. Oh, yeah. A good salary. Jesus. That's what drives people like Joe Castiglione crazy. All right, but the other parts of it, uh, Josh, two signing days. Have you seen one single coach that's come out and said, yeah, I like that idea. That's a good idea. I haven't. I think it really started with right when this talk, you know, the, it became clear this was going to become a vote and they were pushing it through, not pushing it through, but pushing it forward. Um, was Urban Meyer came out was like, no, I'm against this. I don't like it. And I understand that because Urban Meyer recruits the ton out, a ton out of the South, especially in Florida. And he wants, he doesn't want those kids to have a chance to sign with, you know, whether it's Florida, Florida State, or maybe a young project that he likes that would sign with Central Florida or someone like that. Um, he doesn't want them to travel to those schools, commit and sign before he can get them up for an official visit to Columbus. Like, I understand his thinking there. But at the same time, the committable offer, committable or non-committable offers have become such an epidemic. You end up with kids that don't really know if they have an option or if they don't. And then they end up trying to commit to a school, and then they that that or they maybe they focus on a school that is not really there to them. But there's no way for them to know that because the coaches are not going to be like, "Look, we're we're not really you know taking you right now until they have to." So until a kid commits, they don't have to say, "Hey, we can't take that." And right. so you, you get these situations where these kids get stuck, and the verbiage gets real complicated. If you can allow kids to sign. I think it may only make a difference for five kids out of 100 because maybe five kids out of 100 at that point in June or July really know what they want to do. But if they do know, let them sign. And for the kids that don't, what does it change? What, what does it affect? It doesn't change anything. They can still go through the process the same way they always have. So you think that the June date is probably driven by a lot of the smaller schools Absolutely. that, that, that don't want these big schools to be – leading people on basically well and, and then there's that and then you look at a guy like um levi draper or robert barnes in oklahoma's class and i know everybody's gonna say well barnes is talking about a texas visit robert barnes is going to oklahoma that was probably preordained pretty much from the day he caught his first interception like that that just happened levi draper he's going to oklahoma like you go down that list and these guys don't have to deal with all the phone calls and all the other stuff that they don't want to mess with. They get to just play high school football and get ready to go enroll in Norman. And I think that's a big part of it, too, is you can save some kids some headache because there are kids that know what they want to do. And I, I certainly get you know people like, well, what about a coaching change? That's easy. Put a stipulation in there. If you sign with a school and their head coach leaves, you're free of that letter of intent. You're signing it with that head coach and that university. If either one of those things are broken, you can walk away from it. Like that's fine. I don't want to it's not about locking these kids in. It's about forcing some honesty and some clarity and some transparency in recruiting because these kids just get overwhelmed and confused and it's not exactly the coach's fault. They they have to be uh, vague because other people are being vague. But if everybody has to just kind of open their doors and say this is where we are, then you have some ability for these kids to really know where they stand and to know where they might fit in better than, well, I'm just going to go to the big school that offered me. Was there somebody before Texas that was doing this, you know, this you have a scholarship, but it's not committable? That, I mean, I feel like that's a trait of Urban Myers, is it not? 
that that's a, a Meyer was a big one. Um, you know, it's really uh, I think I think USC for a long time did that. Now I think with USC, it was more it was less publicized. But yeah, with Meyer. It definitely happened a lot. It's I think, hard to wrap your brain around that. Like it what? just doesn't. Like I don't. It's still, like when you say, "Okay, yeah," like how do you ever even get somebody to buy that in the first place? It's like it's 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 kids that so desperately want to go to a program that they don't really hear what people are saying to them. To me, yeah, it's like we want you, but not yet. We'll let you know well, when we want you. That's the thing, guys. The coaches don't say that. We've got an offer for you. And until that kid's ready to pull the trigger, they don't have to explain it. They don't have to say, this is non-committable. You have an offer from us. And then if the kid doesn't pan out, they just get to stop calling. They just walk away. And if he does, hey, man, we offered you months ago. We loved you before all these other big schools did. Well, then that forces everybody else to do the same damn thing. Oh, well, Texas offered this non-committable. We better do the same so that they can't hold that trump card if they liked him before we did. And then it just becomes this ridiculous cycle. And it's just the coaches have done this to themselves because one guy started it and everyone else followed suit. Since we're looking for sponsors, I'm going to say it's like, it would remind me of this. Like, I went to Whataburger. I said, okay, I want a, uh, I want a Whataburger with cheese combo. And they turn around and they say, okay. And then they just don't start making it. And you're like, they're like, Where's my where's my Whataburger combo? Well, you didn't act like you wanted to pay for it. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. Like, what other? I I can't for the life of me figure out how this even started. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a great. It's so stupid. I'll tell you a great analogy. In okay, s- I like I like great analogies. So it better be great. In seventh grade, it's I I, I had a crush on a girl, mm-hmm. and uh, I asked her out. Wanted to be boyfriend girlfriend that kind of thing in seventh grade. And she said... You wanted to go with her. Right. We wanted to go steady. And she said... We didn't do steady in Oklahoma. We can be together. Just don't tell anybody. Hmm. Just don't tell anybody in person. Don't let anybody know. You're my secret boyfriend. But we can be together. And then that was okay for like a day or two. And then I quickly realized, if we can't tell anybody we're together, we're not together. If an offer is not committable, it's not an offer. What a little hussy. I know, right? It's not your wife, is it now? No, thank God. Although my wife doesn't like people telling me that telling her that she's with me. She likes to keep that on the DL too. But that's see, I learned You're early in seventh grade. So you totally understand this non-committable offer. Thing. Oh, it's the story of my life. The story of my life is non-committable offers. I feel for is these it, kids. Oh, is it me or is a lot of jo- uh, Joe's um, analogies come back to women? Like I feel like he's a little girl crazy. Like Joe, were you that guy that constantly had a girlfriend? I'm I'm a romantic, Josh. Okay. Okay. I love it. I love dealing with women. They're they're the better half of us. Oh God. This joke guy's weird. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to broaden our our base. We can bring some women into the fold here for the silky smooth with that. ZZ top voice of Joe Duvall. Alright, so beyond all the it's gonna make my head explode if we keep talking about non committable offers. Uh, December, though, I think everybody has been on board with. I mean, to me, that's the one that makes sense. You lock up guys that you really want. Uh, you don't have to, you know, have this. It doesn't have to balloon up your your recruiting budget because you have to keep going back and kissing these guys' asses, their families' asses, leading up to signing day. Because eventually, 
that does, I mean, people say, oh, I'm committed. I'm signing with them. It seems like, Josh, everybody starts getting a little restless, though. The closer it gets to signing day and they see all these other people getting attention, I think it's just natural for people to go, you know what? I haven't got this kind of attention in a while. And, and it uh, seems like that's what leads to all these yeah. signing day kind of, not flips, but almost flips. I think that's absolutely true, especially, and I think, Kerry, it's gotten worse and I think there's some correlation between the birth of the All-Star Games and how yeah. this has come about. Because you get about half those guys that show up to that game that are already committed and about half that aren't. Well, when we break out for interviews after practices and after the games, sure, I'm going to I'm gonna spend a little time catching up with the OU commitments. Like last year at the Army game, I went and talked to Chance Sylvie. But who did everybody want to hear from? Caleb Kelly. Everyone wanted to hear what Caleb Kelly was thinking, what he was doing, where OU was with him and a few other guys. So that, you know, Mark Jackson being another good example. So you just end up with these guys that, you know, I think some kids are mature enough to handle that and say, you know, I didn't want that. I'm glad I'm done with that. I walked away from it. I remember what I didn't like. And then some kids say, well, man, I, I really liked being the star and I want to be yeah, that guy really, again. And, you know, they kind of forget what they hated. It was cool when I, I committed and everybody came exactly. to me on Twitter and, and, told me how much they love me and it's been a long time since that's happened to me what well, you look i mean these kids they're they love twitter and you look at you go through they know they go through their timeline what was the thing they tweeted that got more retweets and attention than anything else their commitment tweet right. every time it's hundreds and hundreds sometimes even thousands of retweets and it's not just with the fans it's with the coaches i mean you know the coaches are just like their attention gets turned to caleb kelly i mean you know it you Chip Viney may have, have been helping out with some guys or whatever, and you know maybe all of a sudden you don't hear from him, or you know when you call he doesn't answer as much as he used to, or something like that. I mean, so coaches get kind of like, yeah, you're we got you. We need to worry about these other guys. That's a new. I mean, you have to continue to pursue now. I think is the point we're getting at is that you can't just have guys committed and let it sit there. You have to continue to pursue, and these coaches don't want to keep doing that. They want to think, okay, we have the guy committed. Let's go ahead and lock him up. Uh, but that's just not the way it works anymore. And I, I also think they like they liked having the hats on the table. They like saying, I have X amount of offers. I mean, every time a guy gets a new offer, what does he say? He doesn't say, I have a new offer from so-and-so. He says, I have my 20th offer from Illinois. I have my 15th offer from Purdue. You know, they you see that now. I mean, like you see like Trey Brown randomly like retweeting his old yeah. offers that he got. I mean, it's just it just is. I mean, you like these guys, we've talked about it before. They're young. They like dating. Sometimes you get you uh, settle down too early, and you realize that you actually liked dating. I think I just realized I hate high school kids. <laughs> <laughs> it's been me the whole time. I like somebody was asking me like, "Oh, did you check Twitter during the debate?" I said, "I don't know. I follow like 500 high school kids. Like, what my Twitter's going to be worthless during the debate?" Yeah, I don't think they're watching. Yeah, I'm not going to get a lot of takes on Tim Kaine. All right. Uh, last thing, satellite camps. I don't. I to be honest, I haven't had a chance to really study. I, I read it, and I was just kind of like, okay, um, my head's gonna explode. Like, it's something about Josh. I'm sure you can explain this a lot better. Something about having it on campus, not having it uh, on non like FBS facilities and things like that. Yeah, it's and it's. I think you said it perfectly earlier. How is it a satellite camp then? Like I don't yeah. understand. 
Now, the only thing I can think what they're what they're talking about is if, say, you know, a and again, I need to read the verbiage just right because maybe I'm still misunderstanding it. But is if Oklahoma can do a satellite camp at Sam Houston State rather than doing them at the high schools, they have to do it at Sam Houston State yeah. or at SMU and things like that. And you know, don't get me wrong, that still has some validity, and I kind of understand it. But at the same time, I think the NCA sometimes forgets when these schools hire out these these high school stadiums. That's a big bunch of money for that high school. Like when Mesquite gets to host OU and Sam Houston State and everybody every year, that's thousands of dollars into that athletic program to just to use that facility for the day. And does does Sam Houston State need to do that? No, they want to go out and see guys at other places too. So I that feels like something that it's it's just too much. Like I I, I get I agree completely that they this. You know, Michigan with the 37 satellite camp, that's crazy. That that's There's no need for that. It's total bull. It's a publicity stunt. But if you want to say, you know, schools can be part of six or seven satellite camps, they have to do it within a two-week period or whatever, I'm good with that. I think that's great. I, I think everybody here knows I'm a big fan of the satellite camps. I think it helps kids that sometime might get overlooked and really helps kids figure out where they belong. A kid will go to an, uh, one of those – camps in mesquite and be like mm, i this is a guy committed to ou and he's better than i am maybe i need to talk to sam houston state and show them a little more love and i think it helps kids figure out the hierarchy a little bit and also again you get some surprises sometimes too so i, I think it's a really good thing but it does need some limitation i think this is overstepping what's needed isn't there like 10 days that they have they have to all be in yeah, too? within 10 days i guess that's kind of cool don't have to stretch it out all all summer but it's cool for us yeah i guess that's what i'm saying (laughs) you know i mean here's the other thing too like okay you've got a satellite camp at sam houston state versus a satellite camp at mesquite like the one thing about it's so convenient to have it at a high school field having at a college campus is a hassle i mean you could get people in and out families can get in and out sit in the stands watch their kids get the coaching yeah, I mean, I, I had no problem with it being on high school facilities. Yeah, I, don't, I don't understand it, why it needs to be on colleges. If it's not broke, don't fix it. I don't see where that really comes into play. And also with this thing, there are so many – I mean, it's not just Oklahoma and Michigan and Ohio State and those schools coming to see kids. I mean, when we were out there, like we said, Sam Houston State, it's Duke. I mean, there are so many schools out there that can go see a kid that might not have been seen before. So – Rutgers and exactly this is not just beneficial to schools this is beneficial to individual human beings who are trying to make it in football I think these are good to make sure that we I mean it's good to regulate it and make sure that things are staying where they need to be but these are you have to keep these satellite camps going they're too good you know something I do want to add I was kind of reading through a story here one thing I do like about the a, a tweak they're making and one of the causes I'm sure they're doing this for is to have these things at uh, the college campuses is to avoid money getting into the pockets of some of these promoters and street agents and some of these guys that are putting on these camps. Now, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush. There's some of these guys that really do. They want to help. And that's, you know, our, our buddy J.D. Runnels trains a lot of kids. and I think that's great. Um, but there are a lot of guys that it's a way for a school to grease their pocket. You know, hey, you know, we that, that kid, that sophomore that we really like, man, maybe get him up for camp. 
we'll we'll run a camp down there in Dallas for you next year, you know, blah blah blah. Yeah. It's it's a really gray area that's really dangerous, but you know, Sam Houston State runs their own camp. You you don't have to go to a college campus for a college to run it. Just be sure that it's signed off for and accountable to a university. And then you can still have it at high schools and you can avoid all these, you know, back market kind of handler deals. Well, that's, I was shocked. Like when I read up on like when Illinois came down there this year, cause it was hosted, it wasn't hosted by any school. It was hosted by like trainers. Yep. I just that, thought, that I thought a, that's not, that shouldn't be the way that it is. Yeah. That, and that when it goes in that direction, that's, I mean, the NCAA is trying to stop football from becoming basketball. And to me, that's when you let it move at all in that direction, that's when you're going to get right there. When, when these guys are getting these, you know, probably $25,000 to run a one day camp where they got to feed some kids some sandwiches at lunch. And that's really their only overhead along with the high school stadium. I, you're, you're getting into really, really dangerous turf. All right. Uh, Recruiting-wise, Josh, names that you want to throw out there uh, that are going to be uh, watching, I guess we'll just say watching the game this weekend so it's not really a, a visit with coaches or anything like that. The yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think the a few of the most interesting are Kobe Boyce, the Texas commitment. He'll be there. Joe talked to him uh, earlier this week, and I'll let Joe kind of talk about you know where he feels like Boyce is. But to me, one of the, the bigger ones is Calevon Shashan from Galena Park North Shore, the uh, – Outside linebacker that's kind of been on again and off again with OU. He'll be there. Um, I think it's a big opportunity because a lot of people think Texas has made a big move for him. So if Oklahoma can go out, win the game, and give him some impression that they're back to moving in the right direction, I think maybe they can maybe move back to that spot where they they almost landed his commitment just before the season. I would say a similar point to be made for Kobe Boyce. I think this game means a lot. I think – uh, Kobe Boyce is going to go into it looking for assurances from the Texas end. Show me that Charlie Strong, you can run a defense. Show me that that's going to be stable. Show me I can play there. And from the Oklahoma end, he's he's legitimately flirting with the idea of Oklahoma, Kobe Boyce is. And I think he wants to. I think there's been part of him this whole time that wants to be a part of that Sooner Squad 17. He likes those guys. He likes the idea. But he's been committed to Texas so for so long. He has to get something to completely detach him from that notion. And if OU comes out and has a strong performance, the defensive backs play well, maybe they get a few interceptions, I think that really starts to make Boyce um, consider making the flip to OU. Uh, two other guys, and we'll, we'll talk about commitments. Uh, first, or well, we'll come back to him because there's a little more to cover with him, but Sedarian Lamb, who had been rumored to maybe even be taking an official visit to Texas A&M this weekend, he told me yesterday he will be taking uh, the trip to up I-45. He's going to be at OU Texas. Uh, I know talking to some people um, around Norman, they seem pretty comfortable with their, where he is. I think he's one of those guys that's just not going to ever quite shut the door. It's kind of like what we <laughs> talked about earlier, Kerry. He likes the attention. Like I think Sedarian yeah, likes unbelievable. that. unbelievable. And, and he likes, you know, I think the part where I can understand it is the visits. Like going to take an official visit to, you know, any school where they're going to treat you great and you eat great food and all that sort of stuff. That's 
that's an opportunity that's tough for me to pass up. I don't know about you guys. I would I would never have committed early if I had a bunch of opportunities. I would have taken all five official visits and gone straight Willie Williams on all of them. Like it would have been, you know, uh, last days of Rome kind of stuff. Like I, I would have enjoyed every minute of it. But the other guy, not to get too far off track, uh, Kennedy Brooks, the guy who uh, the latest commitment, the first commitment in several months now. Uh, he'll be there. Uh, we're going to talk to him on Sunday, kind of catch up a little bit about the commitment. But he's a guy that I think Oklahoma just made the call. They needed another running back. I think they're starting to realize they probably are going to lose at least one of Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon, and they need another guy in that class. And so they they went in. in mm, excuse me all in on him and you know he'll be there this weekend to kind of get to know some of the other guys in his class a little better well and i mean the one thing we haven't talked about is you know all the turmoil when you start out one and two uh everybody worry about what this is going to do to recruiting after ohio state you beat tcu on the road you go into texas you 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 find a way to win this game you come out three and two i gotta think things really start improving and, and you don't have to worry so much on the recruiting trail going forward. Is that you, you feel that's correct, Josh? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, you kind of watch what these guys are doing. And even in the last week, you've seen positive moves as far as how everybody's looking at Oklahoma and obviously picking up a commitment from Kennedy Brooks, one of the most productive running backs in the state of Texas over the last year. I think, you know, for people that don't realize, Brooks last year ran for over 3,500 yards, which puts him top 10 all-time seasons in the state of Texas, which is just staggering when you think of all the great backs that have come out of Texas. So that's a big deal for Oklahoma, and I think you will. I think you start to see, as you look at that schedule, I mean, you know, Oklahoma obviously has uh, Texas this weekend, then going to bring Kansas State in, go to Texas Tech, and then you look at it, there's a couple weeks where Oklahoma probably can kind of catch their breath if you talk about Kansas and Norman. And I think that trip to Iowa State's a little trickier than most people do, but that's a game OU should win. So then you and then you get to go down to that final three, which is, again, another tough stretch in the Big 12. But that Oklahoma gets through this weekend. They've got to feel pretty good about what the rest of their schedule looks like. Josh, you said in the past that uh, due to Oklahoma getting their 2017 class kind of so put together early, you get the skeleton of it made early, they could focus on 2018 a little more. And I'm kind of curious about if they're able to do that still, and also particularly the Moore brothers. What's the deal with them? They're, they told you they were coming. I think they've told other people they might be going to A&M Tennessee. What's going on there? Well, the last, you know, and there was a report, you're right, that they were going to be at A&M in Tennessee this weekend. And that's obviously, that's always tough. You know, we, we talked a bit about it, you know, when, when this OU Texas game was the pinnacle game in, in, in college football, really, and it's, and it's, um, it's given week. And then now it's not even the pinnacle game in the state of Texas. So Oklahoma's had to fight a lot of guys that were going to visit A&M. Marvin Wilson will be at A&M. So th- there's a lot of that where this visit list is not as great as it normally might have been just because of so many guys going to College Station. But I still think when um, you look at guys like Moore, uh, the, the Moore brothers, I think they're going to make it. From what I was told, the report of them going to A&M was a little dated And when I talked to them, it was from both of them. I got it from Jordan and Josh within about 10 minutes of each other saying, hey, yeah, we're going to be at the OU game. Now, they're recruits. Anything could happen. They could show up. You know, they may drive to Austin by mistake, 
recruiting is crazy and weird things happen. But I do think they'll be at a, in Dallas. I think they'll make that trip. And I, I think you're right. I think this is a big chance because Josh has always been very big on OU. He's really liked him. Jordan didn't make the trip up a few weeks ago for the Ohio State game. And I think this is his chance to really get ingratiated with OU, maybe fall in love with the atmosphere and the fans and all those sort of things. Because as much as twins like to talk about, oh, we could go different places, they almost always go to the same place. And I think Oklahoma recognized that and realized if we want Josh, we're probably going to have to go over, over after Jordan. And I think Jordan's really good. When I watched their sophomore tape, I liked Jordan better than I did Josh. So it, the hesitancy on his offer always surprised me a little bit. But I think Oklahoma has a real chance there. But they need to get a win because Texas has kind of made a move for those two as of late. Eddie, anything else you want to hit on with recruiting before we get out of here? They could sweep the leg this weekend for the of the Charlie Strong era, and I don't I don't see how an Oklahoma <laughs> I don't see how an Oklahoma I, I know the players don't take that into account, but I mean if you're an Oklahoma fan, you should be walking around the state fair looking for blood on Saturday because you can you can just completely gut punch the Charlie Strong era in in uh, in Texas and Austin this week with a uh, with a deciding win I think so. I just don't see how you couldn't enjoy that. I'm sure there are plenty of Texas fans that wouldn't mind it if they did lose. I know. So and they that's could the move funny, on to Tom Herman. That's the funny thing is is that I don't know who which fan base has uh, has least amount of, I guess, confidence in their team going into this weekend. Yeah, I mean, Texas is desperate. And to be desperate means you're going to be unhappy. You're not going to be sure what's going to happen. You might be wanting your coach to be gone. But when Texas has played desperate... Oklahoma's lost so Oklahoma can't be feeling too great about this game either so this might be one of those games where the fans get along great before the game everyone's just kind of laughing and happy because everybody's sharing tickets (laughs) tickets are going like wildfire Uh, beers are being drank by the dozen so I think it's going to be a friendly atmosphere because I'm doing my my Q&A on Orange Bloods right now and like it's there was a question it was like what are the strengths and weaknesses of OU more precisely how is Tom Herman going to look and burn orange? Like, I mean, like they are that far into it. Like they, they, they just want, I, I, I want to ask him at the end of the thread, like, do you guys actually want Texas to win this game? Cause I don't get that feeling at all. And I've done this chat for years on Texas and I've never seen it like this. They're probably mad at OU more for the, for Texas beating them last year. They're probably looking back and that saying, OU, what are you, what are you doing losing to Charlie strong? Now we had to have him for another year. And oh, you could do it to him again. Josh is uh, he is able to interact on Orange Bloods because he is the diplomat of the site. I think I burnt the bridges a long time ago of uh, being welcome at Orange Blood. <laughs> yeah, Sukumel and I kind of have that role. Like we have to be the nice guys. And see, I get along with. I talked to Sukumel this morning. I he's, know you do. He's doing something uh, that we did a little Q and A that I did for him for their site, but. And look, it, I I have no problem with catch him. I've actually like retweeted him a little bit here and there. McComas I can't is my say, boy. I can't say McK- that catch him doesn't have a problem with me. But yeah, it's been a little rocky. It's there's been some Red River rivalry there. Yeah, our, our, the our business Sukumel and I's business life partners don't get along very well. So you know, it's um, it, it's a rocky relationship times sometimes between Ob and uh, Sooner. I Scoot. thought about calling catch and just saying, should we do a podcast? Oh, that would be amazing. But then I didn't. <laughs> we'll save it for when these programs are back on top. They matter again. Yeah, when it matters. 
So I will say this. The strangest thing to me, and I, I tell Eddie and I were talking about this the other day. The strangest thing about Texas right now to me is that, and I, I know we said his name so many. What did we settle on Dante Foreman's? Is, is it Deontay, Deonta, or just Deonta? I think it's Deontay. I think that's right. But I always thought that was right, Deontay. That's what I but say. But it's just so strange because... We, I mean, we're familiar with Armani. He was committed to Oklahoma. I remember going down to the Houston camp because that was the same camp that Samaje Pirine was at. But it's just Deontay's become the better player. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Armani. He's a punt returner. He makes nice plays for him. But Deontay's like, who saw that coming from that kid? N- nobody. He was the throw-in. I, I love to talk about, oh, I... I didn't like this guy or I like that guy and I disagreed with OU and I certainly love it best when I get it right. But he was a guy OU didn't have interest in and I was like, I agree completely. I, I didn't see it with I him. I think everybody at felt all. that way. And when Texas offered, I was like, that it's to keep Armani happy. Like that's what it looked like. The problem with Armani in high school still exists today. The kid can't catch. Like he just can't. Like as as explosive as he is when he actually has the ball. It doesn't matter if you drop three out of ten. Like, I mean, it's just he's brutal catching the ball. He had a drop last week against Oklahoma State. It seems like uh, Dante is one of those. Dante, what did we decide? Deontay. Deontay. Uh, the form in the running back is, I guess, what we'll say. Yeah. Uh, it just D. seems like he has that internal just pissed off fire that he's always been the underdog. He's always been the guy that's so forgotten. big and physical. And, and now it's kind of taken over. He's He's definitely a guy that. It's going to be interesting though to see just how much he can run on Saturday. If yeah, you can get if you key. can get a couple good hits on him, uh, that oblique can be kind of a problem, especially I think breathing wise. It's so bizarre that Shane Bouchelle didn't throw down the field against Oklahoma State. I have I would have to think if he's capable, they're coming out immediately. I and trying to go downfield. I heard uh, I think Kirk Bowles was I was driving home from practice one night this week, and Kirk Bowles was on with. Uh, Al Ishback, and he said that there's a maybe a shoulder injury that they've been guarding, and uh, that's a reason why they didn't throw down the field against OSU. I, I hadn't heard that, so uh, maybe that's one of the reasons. They also don't well, have a lot of weapons on the outside to throw down field too. You know, yeah. that's I mean, Armonte Ford's probably their best guy, and as Josh said, he he's not a, he's not a great catcher of the football, and he's he's been just kind of a guy. He's been a chain mover almost essentially this year. They don't. Th- this, believe it or not, this has probably been this will be the easiest game sans losing a Monroe for the Oklahoma secondary just covering receivers. There's not going to be the gigantic fast guys like you saw at Houston and Ohio State and TCU. Oh no, Shane Bichelle's getting ready to throw for 500 yards on Saturday, isn't he? <laughs> We're turning him into, into <laughs> Case McCoy before. Oh eyes. God, that there will never be a time that I've just been more bewildered than uh, watching Case McCoy just drop dime after dime in after bucket, dime yeah. oh just throws that you just don't make and he made every one of them in that uh what no that were throws that first round draft picks make yeah okay yeah if you're case mccoy what did you go do after that game do you go buy a lottery ticket do you just like go i would have just gone you... straight to austin and just stood on sixth street and said ladies come <laughs> well apparently you like to watch yeah that's true that's true <laughs> <laughs> so they probably just went back to the hotel and uh, watched and watched like, each other. Is like that, the, is that the all-time guy has his one shining moment against Oklahoma? Like for me, it's Reggie McNeil in 2 in College Station yeah. when Reggie Mc- I was when he game. came on and just lit OU up in the second half. How about Seth Deegee? 
and Norman was it 2011? Uh, Deggy. Deggy, yeah. Uh-huh. Tag that's one. a good one. Yep. Go all the way back. Uh, what was it? Jarius Jackson from Notre Dame in 99 when yep. he had that um, that crazy yes. game against OU when they lost in South Bend. Yeah. Yep. 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 Brandon Daniels had a punt return for a touchdown in that game. That's right. Well, and there's, I mean, but the Texas is like James Brown. Yeah. If you Peter Gardier. Yeah. Peter Gardier beat him in four years straight, yeah. though. That's oh. that's more than just a one game. You're right. Later. You're right. That guy get free drinks. By the way, in did you know that life? Peter Gardier was the throwing consultant on the movie Varsity Blues? Really? Oh, great he job. He was the one that taught Johnny Moxon how to throw the ball. That's pretty awesome. Did a wonderful job. And Paul Walker. And I, I, they say that Rest some of the peace. scenes. Those are real. Is, he, that is actually Peter Gardere, like when he's throwing from behind, like with the cameras. From oh, behind. really? Yeah. So, like really? when they have the That's helmet awesome. on and stuff, like game footage. Yeah. yeah. Huh. So go go to IMDb. It it, it lists him. If that, that show film. was remade these days, it would, uh, it'd be my buddy Hayes McEachern playing quarterback. That's true. Oh, Hayes. He's doing a little acting right now. Is he really? Yeah. All right. All right. So that's going to do it. Uh, it's been a long show and a lot of recruiting this time, which I'm happy that we got to get Josh more involved in this podcast. But uh, as always, uh, would like to ask any of you that are listening and enjoying the podcast, uh, make sure you go rate us on uh, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud, if they do that kind of thing, because uh, that always helps us a little bit. But uh, we're going to go ahead and sign off. Uh, look forward to getting down to Dallas and uh, watching another OU Texas game. I don't know if it'll be a classic, but I think the potential is there. All right, for Josh McQuistian, back in his home studio, Eddie Radosevich here in studio, Joe Duvall, I'm Kerry Murdoch, and we'll see you next time on the next edition of the Unofficial 40.